I think once you put an asterisk next to grace, it ceases to be grace. The one and only Pete Wilson. Just lay it all out there. Here's everything that's happened. Here's what I've been through. Here's what I've gone through. Here's me. How do you approach dealing with religious trauma today? I was the one in many ways pulling the strings. Mm. I contributed to some of that trauma for other people. I did things that I deeply regret. We love to watch somebody take a fall. I'm okay if everybody doesn't understand my story. Mm. But I think our world could be a different place if instead of running from people that mess up, we run towards them. And you get to that place. It's a very admirable. A phrase I'm sure you're very familiar with is one day at a time. That's right. Welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. I'm Patrick Custer, your host. So very excited that each and every one of you are here tuning in and joining with us today. I'm so excited to have my guest, the one and only Pete Wilson. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Me too. I think. Me too. Good. I want to ask you, when I say the words fall from grace, what immediately comes to mind for mm. you? I see myself, <laughs> if I'm honest, uh, when I think about the idea of fall from grace. But I, I think that phrase is interesting mm -hmm. because I don't think it's possible mm. to actually fall from grace. I think that a lot of times the grace that we talk about is is a grace with like an asterisk next to it. It's a grace that is limited. It's a grace based on certain conditions. And I think real grace, I think once you put an asterisk next to grace, it ceases to be grace. It, it's something. I don't know exactly what it is, right. but I don't think it's that. But, but I get the phrase. I get, yeah. I understand what it means. Um, and uh, it's easy to think and feel like you fell from grace, but I don't think I ever did. Mm. Well, I love that answer because as I was, you know, preparing for this episode and, you know, doing all the things that you do, I was like, oh, you know, we talk about so much of the time, the difference between grace and mercy. And mm -hmm. I always get the two confused. Yep. I'm like Googling define grace, you know, <laughs> and I'm reading it. And it's like, I'm going, wait a second. The definition of grace is something uh, something that we don't deserve in the first place. Right. So if we have it, then how, like, what is a fall? For? So I love that you said exactly what you did because that term we hear all the time, people falling Absolutely. from grace. I always heard that as a recovering person. Like when we talk about our stories, uh, you know, from addiction, like, and, uh, I think you so beautifully, uh, said exactly what, what it is. Yeah. So, I've never analyzed that phrase, but I, I think really based on a definition of grace, mm -hmm. I fell into grace. I didn't fall out of grace. I actually fell into grace. And that's where our episode title is. You'll hear why in a second. So for those of you who don't know that are listening and watching, um, there's a lot of the, there's so much more to you than the story we're about to talk about. But I think just like for me, a lot of my defining moments were some of my darkest mm. before healing came. Absolutely. And I want to start off by asking you what, especially between the time you and I met in person and talked, uh, I've, you know, told so many of my uh, friends and colleagues about um, how excited I was that we were going to do this interview and what have you. And I've had so many people say, you know, A, B and C, what about this? You know, and I heard 
I can't even tell you how many different versions of what did or didn't happen. And so just to give some structure and to hear from you, I, I would love to just kind of go back through, you know, you were once the pastor of mega church here in town uh, that many people are still aware of the church still go to. Um, what, what, what took place? Mm, it's a great question. And I, and I think that I think I'm able to answer that question authentically, maybe not completely transparent. I've, I've learned in my life that I need to be authentic with all. I'm transparent with a few. And I used to confuse those two things. And it got me in a lot of trouble because I wasn't transparent with anybody. I can look back on my ministry, my time at you know that church, and um, I made plenty of mistakes. But I feel like I was pretty authentic as a person. But I wasn't transparent. And I didn't feel like I could be transparent. And a big part of my healing was getting to a place of understanding the difference between authenticity and transparency. I can be authentic with all, but I'm transparent with a few, right? And, and that's a healthy way to kind of work through life, work through your stuff, work through your issues and all that stuff. But for me, I can, I can wrap up that journey in a nutshell that I was on an incredible journey and part of a great church. I believe it's still a great church. Uh, doing incredible things here in Nashville and around the world. And I'm, I have no, um, no regret of being a part of that journey. I think I stayed too long. Uh, I think I probably should have resigned maybe even two years before I did. Uh, but I felt a lot of pressure to stay, to hold that thing up. Now, it's done totally fine without me. <laughs> totally fine without me. But in my mind... I felt that pressure of letting everybody down if I walked away from this. But I knew I wasn't in a healthy place. I knew my marriage wasn't in a healthy place. Um, and it's really difficult to try to project publicly that everything's going great, which is what we felt like we needed to do to keep everything moving and keep doing all the things we felt we were called to do. Uh, but the moment I walked off the stage, I immediately felt the weight the reality of where my life was and it was a mess i was burned out i was struggling with stuff from my past i'd never dealt with uh, i had a true addiction to acceptance mm. and that's what drove a lot of my ministry tell me a little bit more about how that uh played out for you the addiction to acceptance. what, what yeah. do you mean by that from a very early age, I've craved love and approval from other people. And probably because I didn't receive it from some of the people that I wanted it from the most early on in my life. I wasn't able, really able to identify that, but it became a huge part of my life of wanting approval, of wanting acceptance, finding my all of my worth and my value externally from other people. Um, it's an interesting addiction because a lot of addictions not only hurt you, but they also hurt the people around them. My addiction in many ways served the people around me Ooh. because I could morph and shape into whatever it is they wanted in that moment. Yeah. So it wasn't the kind of thing that people were like, oh, Pete, you need to get a hold of this. It's actually what made me and a lot of the people around me pretty successful mm -hmm. is that we found a way to get that 
worth and that value from people's acceptance from their approval but like all addictions when you're looking for something externally to digest whether it's drugs alcohol power money approval when you're looking for something external to fix something internal it's never going to work never going to work and i just kept taking it like a drug and i had plenty of it at my access in that season and people were willing to give it to me i was willing to take it it fed me and uh it kept things moving really well for a long time but eventually that broke down and my lack of love for myself the lack of acceptance for myself eventually caught up with me and um you know i was tired i was burned out i was done i was questioning everything i believed um i felt like a complete fraud Hmm. is the way that i felt and at that time maybe there were other ways to deal with it at that time the only way out i saw was to resign and walk away completely and i did and it didn't save the marriage um it sent me into a really dark place Mm -hmm. but as you mentioned earlier it was in that dark place ironically losing all of that acceptance and approval is what helped me find it internally yeah i mean just like any addiction until we get to a bottom where we're no longer getting the drug that's fueling us yep do we face what is, what's needed to find healing absolutely um what did that look like in those coming months when you stepped down divorce process started um was there isolation a lot of isolation yeah i have this farm about an hour outside of nashville with a little cabin on it and um it's always been a place to get away it's always been a really fun place a place to just disconnect and feel like i could be myself with my family uh but i moved out there thinking that would help i could escape all the people all the questions all the stuff going on and um i didn't want to be out in public so moving out to that cabin i thought this will solve it but it really made it worse it was a place where i was left alone with just all this agony and uh, the feeling of letting everybody in my life down i was crushed i was really crushed um i was suicidal uh i don't tell this story very often i've told it a couple times but um man if if it had not been for my three boys I that was the only reason I could see that I would want to stay alive I felt like I had no value to offer anybody in this world so why not end it like I can't deal with this pain there's not enough alcohol to to numb it um but having those three boys they gave me the will to live they really did wow was there a point where you actually got to a place where you had a plan like were you mentally dealing with a plan and having to talk yourself off a ledge or there was only one time and it was i was sitting on the front porch of the cabin uh with a gun and i sat there crying for probably three hours just and looking back i don't think i could have brought myself to do Mm -hmm. it but the fact that i got that far the fact that I got that far that I'm actually thinking about the world would be better if I did not exist. That's how much I've hurt people. Um, that scared me. It scared me a lot. 
and I feel like that was probably there was a couple that was a couple day period it was really dark but I feel like that was probably my rock bottom the fact that I got to that place and it's honestly it's embarrassing it's embarrassing to admit that today for me it feels like I can't believe I allowed myself to get to that dark of a place but I needed to get there I think it's one of those things again. I mean, like you, it's that path, that trajectory of like stuff left on. I heard somebody say, and I'm going to butcher this quote, but, um, you know, if we ignore the, the cries and screams of our, um, of our emotions, of our insides, um, you know, they eventually come out literally physically in any, any manifestation they're going to, that's possible. And whether it's in our own actions or situations we put ourselves in. And as it always happens on the trajectory of healing, it has to happen with you first, no matter what chaos we've caused in the world. What brought you from the place sitting on the front porch with a shotgun to a better place mm. and then a better place and then a better place? Because yep. clearly here today, I'm talking to a well-adjusted, healthy guy, I've respect a whole lot yeah well it didn't happen overnight no it did not and it's and i think it's still in process i think my journey is far from over in healing but therapy was a huge help uh finally getting honest about really needing somebody else's help i felt like i i had all the answers you know i I was an answer guy. People came to me for their life problems. Um, and so I needed to humble myself. I had, I had done marriage therapy, but that felt different. That felt like fixing a marriage situation, not mm -hmm. fixing me necessarily. That's right. Uh, Relationship therapy and individual <laughs> therapy are two very yeah. different things. And it was, a, it was so vulnerable, like to finally just lay it all out there. Here's everything that's happened. Here's what I've been through. Here's what I've gone through. Here are the temptations I struggle with. Here's me, all of me. Probably the first time in my life I had ever done that. Mm -hmm. uh, I had done it in very measured ways, but never just fully putting myself out there. And that was a huge part. Also rebuilding my relationship with God was a big part of that. I think post ministry for me, uh, I lost my faith. I didn't, I honestly didn't know if I believed anything anymore. I, I needed to deconstruct it all and then put the pieces back together in a way that made sense for me. Hot button word right now. Yes. Deconstruction. So when you say that for people who don't know, I feel like some people might not, um, whether you're in spiritual religious circles or you aren't, um, like what would you say the ba basic definition of that yeah. is? I've never tried to define this, so bear with me. But I, I think for me what it was is I grew up in a very religious home. Uh, I was in ministry at 17 years old. Whoa. So I never really had like those normal years. I started my first church when I was 21. So between 17 and 21 through my college years. Was I, that the church here in Nashville that we are we're referring to or was that a different church? It's a different church. Okay. So I started a church in Kentucky while I was in college, my senior year of college. Okay. And uh, which was awesome. I was there about five years before I moved back to Nashville. But, you know, I went through seminary. I, I was in a church, I grew up in a church where I was told all the different things I needed to believe. Here's who God is. Here's what you have to do in order to have a relationship with him. Seminary, the same thing. Not just here's what you believe, but here's what you need to tell everybody else what to believe. 
and then stood on a stage for 25 years telling people, here's what the Bible says. Here's what you need to believe if you want life and, you know, your relationship with God to work. And so deconstruction for me was saying, I'm going to strip back everything I've been told to believe. Everything I've been told is right. Everything that I've been told is wrong. I'm stripping away all those categories. And then I'm going to, on my own, without any other religious authority, I'm on my own going to put the pieces back that make the most sense to me. And I had a lot that I needed to I had a lot of toxic stuff, yeah. as I'm sure a lot of people do, right? That kind of grew up in a highly religious culture. Uh, and so I had to pull a lot of those pieces out in order to get back to a great relationship with God again. I yeah. couldn't get there with all that stuff. So essentially you deconstructed and reconstructed. Absolutely. I love hearing that. I don't feel like we hear the second part a lot with, and I mean, you know, everybody's journey is their own. And sure. um, I think though that it's important that uh, the voices of people who found a way, because that was my story too. Um, deconstruction doesn't mean, always mean leaving completely. Absolutely. For good. And uh, it doesn't have to have this negative connotation that I think a lot of it's, it's espoused. Um, in, in recent times. And so, uh, I love when you shared that with me because it just hit home so much for me. And so many of the people I know in the recovery circle, the addiction recovery circles, um, uh, because for whatever reason, so many of us that find ourselves addicted to drugs and alcohol and or alcohol and, you know, uh, coming to the, the rooms of recovery or getting to treatment, get there. And no matter if we were raised super religious or not, um, it's really hard for like spirituality is just we're like screw it no yep nah nah and why do you think that is well i can only answer for myself i know that i had okay before i started before i had my first drink or drug ever i would say that my relationship with god my higher power was almost entirely structured based on belief system that I inherited, mm -hmm. uh, and based off of fear, uh, avoiding what I didn't feel like I was too scared, like that. I didn't want things that I didn't want, um, and doing things so that I would get what I did want. So a lot of it is fear-based stuff. Right. And, um, that's not to me, that's not a real genuine relationship. Mm. And so you strip that away. And once I get got to a point where I was using and drinking every day, um, and that was influencing my mind, will, and emotions taking in control. I mean, it became physically my higher power. Mm. I don't think that no matter what you want to call, whatever you call higher power to, you know, today, what your spiritual path is, I don't think anything can get through past that when you're using a substance, a behavior, a anything that takes priority in your life yeah. over relationships, over your health, over all of it, over your time obligations, you know, um, it became you know, those two things, I like, it became impossible for me to have any type of relationship 
with anything other than than that which was serving me and i also looked at again the the my spirituality that i had had before and in my eyes at that time it wasn't serving me i wasn't Mm. reaping rewards that sounds so selfish but it, i was in a very selfish place you yeah. know and like i i knew that alcohol gave me a peace that passed more understanding than mm. god had ever given me before i took my first drink and that yeah. was my truth pete yeah what do you say to that you know and so i got sober because i had to and i needed to to save my life and then i was faced with me mm. Then I was faced with the moral dilemma, the spiritual dilemma, all the voices or the void, all the things, you know, the stuff that vacillates. And so that's, that's when I really had to do what you're talking, you were talking about, which is just the picking apart what, how has a, how has, and I mean, I, for me, I reconstructed my, I choose to call my higher power God. And it's, it's been something where I picked, I also picked up the pieces that ring true for me and my spirit, you know? Um, but it was very much so a process, um, you know, as I'm sure you can understand uh, as a gay man, that has been, um, an interesting journey for me in uh you know the state of tennessee growing up in a very conservative family uh where everything is taught in a certain way so um i'm really grateful though i i attribute personally the 12-step programming to because i had a structure i don't know how people do it yeah that don't. Well, that's what I was going to, this is your podcast, but I do have one more question. Yeah, no, no, it's great. I it, love it, this It's intriguing to me. So uh, as a gay man, and I've walked with a lot of people that have been through your situation of how do you reconcile that with mm-hmm. the church and Christianity or spirituality, and a good number of them have just said, I can't, I'm done. Like, mm-hmm. I can't reconcile it. I've been too hurt by it. I've been too rejected by it for too long. I'm not going to put myself in that environment again to risk being hurt like that. But you did. So what was it that even allowed you to say, yeah, I'll I'll give this thing another shot. I'll try to take some of these pieces and put them back. That makes sense to me. Well, as I was going through this process, I was part of your church and um, it was the first time I had been part of a congregation that said there's a what was the saying that um there's a tagline that, that y'all everyone's have. welcome because nobody's perfect but anything's possible right it was very it felt very welcoming to me you know mm-hmm. and at the time it was the most um i didn't need black and white answers i wasn't even searching for black and white answers i had grown up in a black and white world where there was everything was evil or good or of the lord and i i was ready to walk away from such stark contrast and say maybe god's in the gray maybe i don't have to know Mm. the answer right now right here Mm. and i can just trust that if if there's a higher power out there that's strong enough and powerful enough to meet me where i am and pull me into sobriety and save my life then maybe I can trust also that when the time is appropriate, those parts 
of that entity will be revealed to me in a way that I can understand and conceive. Mm. And that's been what has happened for me. It's, it's been brought to me, um, through people that have been put in my path that show me God, that should, that remind me of certain aspects of what a real relationship looks, a real spiritual relationship looks like. Yeah. Um, and it's not the dogma that I was raised with. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm fortunate because not that's like you said, that's not everybody's experience. Yeah. And I hate that not, you know, there, there are so many people that have not found safety. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, we are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. What would have been the Pete's answer back in 2014 to religious trauma and how it should be dealt with versus Pete's answer today? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I had any idea what religious trauma was in 2014 uh, because I was a part of the system, right? I was the one in many ways pulling the strings. Mm. And that's been hard to deal with post my role uh, in the church is that I contributed to some of that trauma for other people. I don't think I was aware of it. It certainly wasn't intentional, but the reality is I was, and I did things that I deeply regret. I've never told this story, but you just, you said two things. And when you combine them, you basically, set me up for this story and you asked about that phrase everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect but anything's possible that phrase really did capture the attention of a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life in the nashville area and we were reaching people who never felt comfortable to really step inside of a church or they haven't stepped inside of one for a long long time and it sounded great because we were growing crazy growth and a lot of it was tied to that people felt genuinely welcomed on the other side there's a conservative part of the church that was getting really nervous about not just the growth but the kind of people we were reaching Mm -hmm. and uh, i had a lot of meetings back in those days where i was trying to walk the line between those two groups and i'll never forget doing this i only did it one time I still deeply agree. I can't tell you what year it was, but it would have been like 2012, 2013. In a message, uh, I was talking about everyone's welcome. And I didn't plan this, but in this moment, I I remember looking out and seeing some of these people who had been giving me a really hard time uh, about, you know, we're getting too loose, we're blah, blah, you know, this and that. And I added something to that statement in the moment. And I said, everyone's welcome doesn't mean everything's approved and i did that for one reason and it was to make that group of people just a little more satisfied hold them off a little bit longer Mm. and um most people would have never caught that um i don't remember anybody saying really much to me about it but 
I did that to try to make that particular, again, back to my addiction, right? I wanted their approval. I knew they weren't going to fire me. They, they really probably couldn't have fired me. They weren't going to cause a big scene, but I knew they weren't happy with me. And I said something to make them happy with me that could have added to the trauma of other people. And I hope it didn't, but, it, but it, maybe it did. And for that, I'm deeply sorry. And I regret that. Mm. But that was part of my, and, and I'm sure there's other insta- instances where I did that as well. But that's one that popped in my head immediately yeah. when you shared that story. I appreciate you mentioning that because it's, it's funny, you know, as you, as you bring up like the reasoning behind saying that, you know, I think about how I, I, I doubt that I was in that service, but I think that as coming from like my, my mindset, if I had heard that, that definitely would have been like, been a red oh, flag. wait a second. Maybe, I, maybe what I thought wasn't because, okay, let's go back for a second. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Sure. I hate if I, if I never heard that for like, I know I hate that phrase. I know it's, it does so much harm. It does. And when you want to talk about spiritual trauma, oh my God, you know, like that's probably at the very top of the list of, you know, and, um, so anyway, what, cause now, and we haven't even talked about this part yet today, you're uh, walking people through coaching, doing life coaching, speaking and whatnot. Um, how do you approach dealing with religious trauma today? Yeah. Whether it's people from your past or, you know, other, you know, stuff you had nothing to do with. Yeah. Um, I tend to attract a lot of people with religious trauma because they've kind of seen my journey and they, I think, I hope, I hope they feel safe to say, uh, here's a guy that probably understands both sides of this. Right. And it's definitely a real thing. It's not something I, you know, I do probably more executive coaching than, um, I, I call myself a life coach. It's probably more executive coaching. It's, it's a mix, right. Of both. Uh, so I don't, work with a ton of people in a professional setting but personally i have people all the time that i'm meeting with talking hearing their story um and man, it's it's heartbreaking it really is and and i still don't fully understand it patrick i don't understand how we got so far off course i don't understand how when you look at the for me you know i i, I still would call myself a follower of jesus mm-hmm. and when i look at his life and everything he was about, it was love. It was mercy. It was acceptance. It was making room for people at the table who weren't welcome at other tables. It's, it's, it was his whole life in ministry. I don't understand how we've gotten so far off course uh, when it comes to religion. And the things that we've done for thousands of years now in the name of Jesus, oh, like... I just, I, it, it blows my mind. I, I, I don't know, but I think it's in a lot of cases and I'm, and I'm not speaking about any particular church. I'm just talking about in general. Yeah. I think part of what's happened is we say that we're there to follow Jesus and protect his values. But in reality, we're trying to protect the values of an institution. Ooh. And, and I get that. I understand that. Like, it would be very hard for me to run an institutional religious organization today with what I believe. 
because I've lost a bunch of my tools of manipulation that I can use to get people to give. And let's be honest, it takes money mm -hmm. for these organizations to run. They're called yeah. nonprofits, right. but there are millions and millions of dollars yes. that are flowing through these nonprofits. Um, and, and, and again, I don't think they're bad people. I don't. I think they're caught up in a system. And you, you get to that place where, you know, the church I was leading, we had 100 plus staff people responsible for them for their families you know you've got a board you've got elders you've got all this stuff you're in this bubble this religious bubble and you start to feel this responsibility to keep this thing going keep it growing keep it funded and there's certain ways to do that but i think in in many of those ways it becomes about protecting the institution the viability of that institution and not so much about what would jesus do here mm. You know, I used to make fun of the what would Jesus do bracelets, right. but I should have been wearing one uh, because it probably would have been really helpful in a lot of the decisions I was making along the way. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think the time when I also too would have been like making fun of the bracelets, or I actually was, yeah. um, I, you know, just because whatever, you know. <laughs> They were very popular. So like uh, half the people wearing them, you know, were just wearing them to wear them and whatever. But um, would you not say that like it was so easy during that time, whether in the place of power that you were in the church or as a, you know, a church member? I mean, I know I can say for myself that like I would look at what would Jesus do? And I mean, I think about like the expectation, not what the man that we read about in the Bible, right? Like the, the yeah. What is, because so much of the time it's not Jesus and what he would do becomes the culmination of the expectation Yes, the institution is yeah. dictating. How do you separate that? I don't know. I, I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard. And again, I want, I want to be careful because I think, you know, I have tons of friends. There's tons of your listeners who are part of religious sure. organizations and I, I hope it's serving them well. I'm a part of a church mm -hmm. and I love it. I'm grateful for it. It, it. it has been a part of my healing, but you got to find the right place for you yeah. and the place where you feel safe and you can, you know, try to learn more about God and his love and what it is that, you know, I believe Jesus did for us. But, um, along with that, as you know, as I know, as many others know, they've experienced trauma and that's unfortunate, but we have to remember behind all these organizations are human beings who I want to believe most of them are doing the best that they can with what they know and what they understand, but they're human and they're going to make mistakes and those mistakes are going to hurt people along the way. And I did that. I was a part of that. I hurt people along the way. So speaking of that, I know that you want to protect what parts that you need to protect, but are you able to speak to any of the, cause we get to the, you know, when we're going through the healing process, you heal yourself. Right. But then there's the part, the part where we have to take inventory of what the wreckage of our past. Um, can you speak to any of that and what your immense journey was like? Yeah. I mean, you know, it happened on so many different levels, Patrick, you know, I, um, there were people I worked with very closely mm -hmm. that I broke their trust. Um, and I needed to make amends there and there needed to be, I wanted there to be healing. There wasn't in every case healing, uh, but I was able to make amends. Um, 
you know, I have an ex-wife that I did not do everything perfect with. Anybody that's been married knows no matter how that relationship ends, there's some things you probably need to make amends for. And that was certainly true for me. Uh, my kids um, were hurt through that divorce um, and there needed to be amends there. Uh, there was a lot and there's still more for me. You know, I really haven't even gotten to that level of all the people I probably hurt from my uh, position as a pastor. You know, I, I hope looking back that I did more healing than harm. But I know because of my own brokenness and my humanness being caught up in a system that I did hurt people along the way that there were moments that I felt like it would be easier for this church and the vision of this church if that person or if that group were not here. Mm. And, um, man, that's embarrassing to admit. You're human. I because, mean, I, I, you know, in the moment I felt like I was, I was being loving. And I might, I might have been loving in moments in times and seasons, but I was also calculated in moments and seasons. And um, my love, unlike Jesus's love, was not unconditional. There were conditions. There were things that I wanted to see or wanted to happen, or uh, I don't know if you and I have ever had this conversation, but it's, a, it's an interesting one. In the, in the church world, we tend to make celebrities out of people who have a past that screwed up mm -hmm. and then they come to find Jesus or find church, yep. we'll make a hero out of them. Oh yeah. I mean, every weekend there's a video about That's somebody right. whose life was totally screwed up. They found Jesus and now they're, you know, living a great life. Yep. But there were 10 times more people sitting there every weekend who were probably claiming to be Christians or on some kind of journey at least whose life fell apart in the middle and we never told those stories it's like you know when i went through a divorce it felt so gut-wrenching to me because i had never seen a story of someone who went through a divorce and somehow held their life together and their values together it was like we only told stories in the church of people who got to the very brink of divorce mm. and then miraculously stayed together right and so it made me think that if someone got a divorce, it's just because they didn't try hard enough or they didn't believe hard enough. And I obviously on the other side of that. We would never say that. We would never admit that in the moment. Right. But that's so true for so many of us. That's a belief we, we either held or some people still hold to this day. Yeah, right? like, sure. But I mean, would you have actually admitted that no. out loud? No. No, it sounds but so bad. It sounds so arrogant. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that, yep. you know, and, and yep. that's because we communicated that message over and over and over. And I understand the intention behind that. We wanted people to know there's hope, right? God can do miracles. Mm -hmm. You know, things that are going sideways can be fixed. It's true. But it doesn't always work out that way. Yep. And we didn't tell that side of the story. And I think that left a lot. That's another category of people that I feel like in my personal ministry, I probably completely let down. Again, not intentionally, I just didn't know. I didn't know about the pain associated with it. I didn't know the hurt. I didn't know 
that sometimes there are relationships where the best thing for them to do is to go their separate ways and try to find healing and to move on. That wasn't even a category for me back then. Yeah. I get, you know, I get that on more than (laughs) more than one level. Oh man. So I, I, I feel like there's a natural segue here to, you know, you talked about, um, you hope you did more good than, than harm. And I think in today's society, it's so easy to, whether you're talking about the church or anyone else who does good things, um, human and when stuff happens, um, it's so easy to, uh, let whatever good that you held that person on a pedestal for, or not even, maybe not even a pedestal, but you know, that in good favor, like this person is good because of, it all goes out the window when yes. something happens. And um, some people might call this cancel culture. There's a lot of different yep. terms for it, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm really interested in the dynamic that you see when it comes to how we handle in spiritual settings because I honestly don't think it's just the Christian church. I'm friends with a lot of people in other, like, sure. I think whenever you have a society or a group of people where there's a moral high ground that everyone is being held to, um, if there's someone of standing, they're held to a different standard. Absolutely. And I guess what I'm asking is what do you make of like how we, how we handle that? Yeah. I, th- I think, you know, and I, I've thought a lot about this. And so sometimes I, I don't know that we hold celebrities, um, well-known people to a higher standard as much as they just have a lot more people that get to throw them under the bus. Mm. So I think this happens to, you know, Johnny, who has a normal job mm-hmm. and screws up. The difference is he only has like a handful of, you know, people in his life that know who he is and what he's done, but they still probably treat him the same way because it's, it's a, it's a human problem. It's a human condition that we love to, um, we love to watch somebody take a fall. We love to watch somebody mess up. We love, we, 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 we act like we don't, but we actually love it Oh yeah, and we call it entertainment. Well, and entire TV stations, networks yeah. that are, uh, making, millions or billions off of and the reason the reason we want to watch it is because it makes us feel better about our own failures i mean the reality is there there's sure there are a very small percentage of people who do some outlandish things in our world uh, that you could maybe put them on a different level of you know a deranged individual the reality is most human beings are making mistakes every single day right and one of the ways that we cope with it is looking at somebody else who we think their mistake is worse or we think it's bigger and we fixate on that to numb ourselves from thinking about our own issues and our own problems and our own falls and we all do that i've done it and um man i but i don't like it i don't like that that part of who i am i don't like that part of who a lot of us tend to show as human beings what do you think about the alternative like what what do you think the alternative is to doing that to cope it's immersing ourselves in their mess instead of running from the mess it's like uh, 
I heard this illustration once. This guy was, I don't, I have no idea the context of the story, yeah. but a guy was talking about when people like jump out of an airplane or something and on the rare occasion that the parachute doesn't open and they fall to their death, that it's not the initial impact. This sounds gross, but I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Mm -hmm. It's not the initial impact that kills them. The initial impact breaks almost every bone in their body. But he said, because of the impact, they actually bounce up in the air and it's the second bounce that kills them because all those broken bones go through every organ in their body. Oh. And so playing off this idea of the fall, for me, what I've said is that I wanna catch people on the first bounce. So when someone falls, the tendency is everybody in their world runs away from them. Mm. I wanna to run towards them. I want to be there. It's not the. It's not that first. It's not what they did. It's not. It. That's not what kills them. What ends up killing them is when they wake up that next day. They realize that their life is ruined because of something they did that mm -hmm. got found out, and there's nobody there for them. Mm -hmm. That's what kills them. And so I've kind of just made it my. You know, my ministry these days. I, I love reading the paper. I love listening to the news. Not so that I can jump on the bandwagon of, oh, I can't believe they did that. Let's cancel them. I would do everything I can to reach out to them and say, you want to grab a cup of coffee? You want to go talk? You want to like, I've been there. I know that embarrassment. I know that humiliation. And I just want to be here for you. Don't want anything from you. I just want to be here for you. That's one thing I think we can do. Um, it's just become such a so much momentum around cancel culture around throwing people under the bus and, and i and i get why we do it but i think our world could be a different place if instead of running from people that mess up we run towards them that's, that's such great advice across the board no matter what you're talking about in this thing called life on earth um i think we get uncomfortable and people aren't doing well and a natural like whether even just when they're sick whether they've done something wrong whether it's whether it's addiction when their life doesn't look great it's easy to just pull away because we're busy and it's uncomfortable to lean in and and i did that almost my entire life like and part of that's my personality i've never felt like i wanted to intervene into somebody's life so throughout my entire life ministry and everything when somebody i knew was going through a divorce or they messed up publicly and they were found out i always made the assumption they probably don't want to hear from me right now and if they want to hear from me they know i'm here they'll reach out that was always my, i always kind of put the responsibility on them they'll reach out and i'll show them love and grace and kindness when they do and then i kind of went about my life then when i went through what i went through what i realized was Typically, you have so much shame in that moment, you can't pick up the phone. You have so much shame in that moment, you can't show your face. Like, I would go to the grocery store one in the morning so I didn't have to run into people. It took me well over a year before I would walk into any public place with my head up. I always walked in with my head down. I didn't want anybody to see me. I was embarrassed. And uh, I, I had so much shame, I couldn't initiate the help. Yeah. I needed people to reach out to me. Yeah. And so that's why I've kind of changed my strategy on that of I'm going to run towards them. 
words to live by for sure. Gosh, you know, I have to think that like, I understand for a lot of reasons why your face was one of the most recognizable in, at least in our city, maybe our state for quite some time, especially during that period. Um, but whether you are a person on a platform or not going through divorce, whatever life wreckage, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter if people for sure know your face or not. You feel like everybody sees That's your right. grief, your pain, your shame when you go in public. Yep. And so I really appreciate you bringing that up. It's, it's uh, so, so good. Um, curious i i did not know until recently um your ex-wife wrote a book this mm -hmm. past year have you read it i have not have you been asked uh, like by <laughs> a lot of people about like i really haven't really uh, i i've you know i'm proud of her yeah for sharing her version of the story whatever that version might be um you know i i, I know her intention is to want to help other women that are going through divorce. Mm -hmm. And um, so I hope she does that. And, uh, but no, I, I haven't, I haven't read the book. I thought it'd probably be best. You know, I still, I, I do everything I can to try to be a good co-parent with her. Yeah, It's the most important thing to me these days, post that divorce. And um, so I kind of thought that, it might not be the best thing yeah. for my co-parenting relationship with her. So I just chose to to not read it. I thought about reading it because then I could make a statement and say, I don't believe this or I don't believe that. But I've gotten to a point in my life and this is one of the healthiest things for me. And I've never been able to say this in my whole life, but I'm okay if everybody doesn't understand my story. Mm. I'm okay if there's some people who dislike me. And that had never been true. My entire life when I felt like somebody didn't agree with me, I was gonna do everything it took, even if I had to manipulate the situation to get them on my team. And so part of my journey towards healing has been able to say, you know what? I don't have to try to um, tell my side of the story, I'm okay with being misunderstood. Um, I couldn't be happier with where I am in my life. I worked really hard to get to this place and I have to be careful of certain things that can trip me up and pull me right back into that yeah. season yeah. where I feel like I've got to win somebody over. I think that whether you are an addict to acceptance or not, and I think, I don't know, I think I might have some of that myself, but I think a lot of us might that need to have people believe we're a good person yeah is so pervasive we want everybody to know our side of the story yeah yeah pete i've i've been think like the past few weeks i've been thinking and thinking and thinking like how am i going to ask you these questions what are we going to how are we going to talk about the specifics of what did or didn't go down because everybody's wanted to know and i love that when i just open-endedly ask you what happened you said you know well these are the parts that matter people don't need i don't need to justify the rest of it people don't need to know the specifics and i don't have to people don't have to believe i'm this yeah. or that i I've, and I've, i think that's uh, like when i hear you say that i'm like good gosh what a place of healing that is 
like, cause I don't, I'm not there and I haven't had something like as like that, you know what I mean? Like sure. that public happened in my life. Um, and, uh, you've been some, through some major healing to get to that place. It's a, very admirable. Well, I'm here today. I hope I'm here tomorrow. Yeah, I hope but too. a phrase I'm sure you're very familiar with is one day at a time. That's right. Well, <clears throat> having said that, I just want to ask, you know, for the people that are listening, watching, um, that have identified with your story, part of it, all of it, whatever, um, what would you say as far as your kind of leaving them with encouragement on what, if they took one thing away from yeah. today. I hope they take away the word hope. Like I, I think hope changes everything. And the opposite of hope, as you know, is despair. And despair is just believing that tomorrow will be no better than today, mm -hmm. right? Next week's not gonna be any better than last week. And 2024 is not gonna be better in 2023. Um, it's, it's always gonna be this hard. I'm never gonna get better. I'm never going to heal. That's despair. And that's a place I was in. And it's a miserable place to live and yeah. will send you to all kinds of unhealthy extremes. And so if you can just muster up a little bit of hope, uh, because I believe that hope changes everything. And it's this hope that, you know, for me, and I can't say this is going to be true for everybody, but I believe that I live under a very friendly sky and I have a God who wants me to thrive, he wants me to heal, and that I have that ability and I have that power to not live a default life. I'm, I now live a created life. I don't feel like I'm a victim to all the things around me. I don't feel like I'm a victim to my past. Um, I'm able to create the life that I wanna live. I'm able to create myself, I'm able to create the people around me, and I'm able to create the world that I live in. And. Uh, that's a, that's a place of empowerment and it breeds a lot of hope. And so I, I think that's the one thing that, cause without hope, man, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. That's right. That's right. Without hope. I mean, I, oof, I can count on one hand, the, the times in my life where I didn't have hope where I had such little that it was bleak, like what you're talking about. It's important. I think those are the times where if we believe we have goodness in us, we have to lean in That's like right. we were talking about earlier. It's the funny thing that, you know, despair people think people say to me, I, I don't have enough faith to have hope. And in other words, I don't have enough belief, mm. but despair takes belief as well. You're choosing to have faith and believe in the fact that nothing's ever going to get better. Right? I think inside of us, we all have faith and we have doubt. Mm -hmm. We have hope and we have despair, all of us. It comes down to what you choose. And I'm going to choose faith and I'm gonna choose hope instead of doubt and despair. And it doesn't mean everything goes great in my life at all. Do you have days when you wonder if God's real? Absolutely more often than I would like to admit. I have more questions than I do answers. And I absolutely, I mean, there are times I can be driving down the road, Patrick, a beautiful day, everything's going great in my life. And this thought enters my mind. 
is this real? Like, is there really a God up there? Is this, is it, is this like, so yes. Like I, I think again, inside of every person, there's faith and yeah. doubt. I just choose to act on the faith. Right. Um, but, oh yeah, man. What, so got, what, what keeps you hanging on, on those days of doubt? Right. Like where, where that's, that's what it is. I think my mind then, so here's the interesting thing about our thoughts. I think one of the worst things we can do as human beings is actually believe all of our thoughts. We have, according to science, about 70,000 thoughts a day. Uh, about only 5% of those thoughts though are new thoughts, which means most of our thoughts are just on this constant loop. Right. And that's a lot of the work that I do with the people that I coach is getting the wrong thoughts out, right? Getting the right thoughts in, breaking that loop and that cycle. So for me on those days where I'm struggling with that, um, I, I don't panic. I'm like, yeah, of course I have doubts. I'm human. That's why they call this faith, yeah. right? It's, it's, of course, I have doubts, but I pretty easily take that thought and instead of holding on to it, and feeding it and obsessing on it, I just let it pass through my mind, right? It's just like a car on the highway. It just whoop, went right through. And um, I didn't need to cling to it. I didn't need to give it any more energy than that. I just kind of let it pass. Doesn't make me a bad person. Doesn't make me weak in my faith. It's just a thought. And by allowing that to pass through and not holding on to that and clinging to that, it then allows me to free my mind up to all the other evidence that exists in my life that I believe there is a God. And man, I got a mountain of evidence. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be sitting here today Same. if it had not been for the love of God, that higher being that pulled me through when I couldn't do it for myself. Same, 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 same. I can't think of a better note to end on. Man. Pete, thank you so, so much for sharing your heart with us today. And thank you. Thank you for what you're doing on this podcast. Absolutely. I know it's helping and encouraging a lot of people. Yeah. This is a very, this was, uh, this is very special for me. Um, and I hope, no, I know, I know that this episode is going to mean a lot to a, lo- a lot of our fellow Nashvillians and our whole audience. There's so much I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in real time reflecting on so much of what we talked about. And it it really, it's just like, has meant so much to my heart. So thank you. Absolutely. Honored to be a part of it. Awesome. With that, I'm going to close out by reminding each and every one of you that it's never too late to start loving yourself. And you're only ever one decision away from a completely different life. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you or a loved one are struggling with trauma, addiction, or mental health, We are ready to answer your questions and help you take that next step. Call our admission center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promises.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help.